Petri Dish is a product of Petri Dish Media, all rights reserved. All characters during the show, such as Donatella Iglesias, Jimmy Coconuts, and Tyler Jerry are copywritten and are satirical. Any similarity to any persons living or dead is completely coincidental. Petri Dish is a science comedy podcast and should not be used as medical advice. Do not get medical advice from a podcast. And therefore, as a free man, I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Science! Science! Yes. I know the human being and science can just peacefully. This was our finest. Hey guys, welcome to a Thursday broadcast of Petri Dish. I'm Nathan. I'm Sean. And today we're going to talk about some of the most magnificent, sexy, guano-infested, disease reservoir, crazy little biting motherfuckers in the world. We're talking about Baliliaris magnificanus. Bats. God damn it. All right. Yeah, we're going to talk about bats. Bats are perhaps the second largest order of mammals right behind what? rodents. I didn't so, know that. And they account for 20% of all species of mammals worldwide. What? Yeah. How are there so many bats? Their, I guess, niche is one that they fill very successfully all over the world. Okay. So, That's cool. So they're very good at doing what they do. They're extremely useful animals, and they account for a lot of pollination, seed dispersal, consumption of pesky insects. Well, so we've wanted to talk about bats for a while, and let me explain to the audience why I care. Yeah. Is bats, obviously, I like vampire stuff, and bats, you know, cause vampirism. Sure. That's one. Yep. Two, uh, when I was a kid, I used to like bugs a lot, and bats eat a lot of bugs, so I really resented bats for eating my favorite guys. Sure. Three, this is more of a Stacy point, bats are pretty cute. I know that's weird, but if you look at a bat and you, like, cut off its wings, a bat face is pretty cute. Some bat faces. Yeah, I'm kidding also. And it's true. <laughs> some bats are fucked. But, but then four is guano. Bat poop is delicious. It's great in mapodubu. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then six, finally, is that, you know, you'll hear about Ebola. Bats are reservoirs for Ebola, right? You hear about all sorts of COVID, all sorts of SARS. Bats are reservoirs. So bats, to me, are like these dirty, diseased little flying monsters right but all this stuff sounds very contradictory and paradoxical to me and i kind of wanted to learn more about bats to kind of do justice to these flying little fuckers great I think you skipped from four to six in your count of things on bats. <laughs> That's <laughs> a classic Nathan problem. <laughs> all right. But... Early onset Alzheimer's. <laughs> so I think in this episode, we're going to discuss on the disease side what kinds of diseases bats can be reservoirs for and why they seem to be so successful at being disease reservoirs. And then next time on a second bat episode, we're going to talk about all of the wonderful things that bats do and some of the cool, interesting things about them because they're such a unique kind of mammal, right? When we were talking about this before recording, Sean told me that we're not going to piss off the bat lobby. Because the yeah. bat lobby, like, bat scientists are very protective of their little bastards. The bat research community feels like bats have been maligned heavily for forever. Because they're blood-sucking, disease-ridden <laughs> pests. No, but this is important. Because they're really not, right? In fact, they're so good at dealing with diseases that they're a reservoir for the rest of us. Right, and I would say that most of them are not biting Right, like, I, this is vampire bats. The rest of them don't really bite people. But then, aside from that, they're not really pests. 
for the most part, they take care of pests for it. Right. The disease-ridden is hard to dispute. <laughs> That's just accurate. And just to reiterate, we're going to talk about them as disease reservoirs, and then we're going to talk about them as beautiful members of the broader ecosystems in which they live. Ironically, we're going to talk about the bad stuff first, yeah. and the next episode, the good stuff. So bear with us if you love bats. Yeah, and if you listen to this first episode and you get really mad at bats, please listen to the second episode. Well, tweet us first, okay? <laughs> Mentions are good. <laughs> Bad news is good news. What? <laughs> I don't remember what the quote is. Yeah, me neither. But then listen to the second episode, because we are bat lovers in this, um, in this strange household. All right, so let's get into it. Welcome back to Petri Dish. Sean, tell me about bats. Why do they give us diseases? So let's start out by talking about some of the diseases that we know bats are reservoirs for. One of them that we, I think, are all aware of now is that coronaviruses, a lot of them circulate around in bats first. And this is a really stupid thing because everyone's heard it by now. Coronavirus is a family of viruses, right? Right. And bats love all of them. <laughs> There's a lot of different coronaviruses and different branches of the families that we have found in bats. SARS, MERS, and SARS-CoV-2, the most recent coronavirus, all probably came originally from a bat but made the jump over into some other animal first. Interesting. So some of those different coronaviruses we got from, like, camels, for example, you're saying it came from a bat first and then got to a camel. Right, right. And not like super soon, right? It wasn't like it, it went from a bat into a camel and then a day later hopped into a person. Right, it's like 632, Muhammad ascends to heaven and a bat poops <laughs> on a camel's eye. And then like uh, Baghdad gets sacked somewhere in the 1200s. Uh, a camel spits on one Persian dude. And then like 2007, <laughs> like, yeah. like that Persian dude, he's still alive. That sounds like an accurate portrayal of what happened there, Prince of Persia. <laughs> anyway, so... Dick Gyllenhaal. <laughs> so, SARS, it was most likely civets. MERS was definitely camels. Stupid question, what the fuck is a civet? A civet is like a weird mix between, if you took a jungle cat and a raccoon and mixed them together. That's what a civet looks like. A civet, to me, sounds like the end of a Byzantine-style church. <laughs> like you have the atrium and you go oh, into the yeah, civet. and you enter the civet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Enter the civet and yeah. you get paddled. So, so civet is an example of a bushmeat that you might find in, in like southern China or something. Bushmeat. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> Diggity goo. It's a crack my records. Merce <laughs> came from camels. Okay. okay. And SARS-CoV-2, we do not know where it came from. Maybe pangolins. Maybe Chinese lab. God. Just kidding. Fuck. Listen to our episode on why that's dumb. Yeah, okay. So, basically, we don't totally know where it hopped over from. What we do know is that it shares a lot of similarity with a bat coronavirus. But even though the amount of similarity, that it's something like in the 90s or something like that similarity, that still probably means that it hopped away from bats in, like, the late 60s. Well, wow, okay. okay. So, Pink Panther comes out, David Niven, what is he doing? And then, yeah, the rest of the time it's been hanging out in some other animal. Damn. Okay. So, you know, we're still looking into that. In a study done in 2017, 19,000 animals, including 12,000 bats, were sampled for coronaviruses, and about 100 strains of coronavirus were found. Holy shit. And out of those 100 strains, 91 were in bats. Holy shit. Okay. And out of those 12,000 bats that they checked out, 
8.6% of them were infected with at least one coronavirus. God damn. So we're not saying every single bat's got a coronavirus, but 8.6% is pretty high, and some of those bats had more than one coronavirus. I think bat scientists need to explain in a tone for why they support these disease-ridden monsters. <laughs> no, God damn <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, so that study estimated that there's probably around 3,200 different coronaviruses hanging out in bats all over the world. Holy shit. Most of which we have never seen or sequenced. Okay? Damn. So they're just kind of sitting out there. People have been warning about this shit for a while. This isn't just a Chinese wet market thing. Bats are located all over the world except for the highest latitudes like the Arctic or Antarctic. Right. So we have them in the U.S. We have them in South America. We got them in Africa. They're all over the place. And this jump can happen in a lot of different places. Damn. So the biggest potential disruptions are in places where you see high human density encroaching on jungles and forests. And by that, I mean, like, you know, when you have human density stuff kind of right. shoving into these territories. We're kind of building out Lagos or something. We're getting into the jungle, baby. Right. You're going to see more bats interfacing with more people right. and more chances for these kinds of spreading events. And also more stress on the bats. And this is kind of a weird idea, but ecological stresses on bats can drive them to get infected easier and to maybe even spread that to other animals easier. Okay? Yeah, how does the spread happen? Like, literally, like, how does a bat give it to a camel? So in, in a lot of cases, <laughs> in, in a lot of cases, it's most likely through guano. Okay, so like a bat shits and a camel's like, blub, 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 and then like. Yeah, so I think there's two species of like vampire bat, for example. Right. It's really unlikely to be through something like a vampire bat biting something and transferring disease that But way. bats famously shit a lot. Yeah. And their shit's good shit. Bats do famously shit a lot and they can shit while they're flying. Wow. So, so they can kind of spread it over areas. Right? So can I. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just like crack a little hole into my airplane and just shit right out. It's flinging across the Pacific. So, and it suctions my butthole. So then I'm stuck there for like 11 hours. It really hurt. That's, and then I sent a photo to Dan and I had an anal fissure. God damn. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> so a lot of times we focus on the spillover of these viruses out of bats into like wild animals. Right. Like civets or something. Right. But... It's not just that as a potential issue, right? It's not just exotic animals and bush meat and stuff like that. There's pigs. There's pigs. I mean, frankly, camels are also like a, a domesticated animal. That's true. In the Middle East. So, also tasty. I haven't tried one. But yeah, me neither. They do sometimes eat camel. I do hear it's pretty good, though. So, like you were saying with pigs, swine acute diarrhea syndrome, or SADS. Broke out in 2016. Okay, so that's fucking not that long ago. And it infected pigs in China and killed over 24,000 pigs. And that was a coronavirus that had hopped over from bats into pigs. Damn. And that's not that long before we saw this latest coronavirus and COVID happening. Holy shit. And so people hanging out in villages near caves that have bats in them often have antibodies against coronaviruses that they're, are not like normal coronaviruses. They're hanging out, yeah. So it's just, it's very clear zoonotic transfer happens often enough that like these people must have been infected with all kinds of viruses to have right. antibodies against them this jumping can happen bats can be co-infected with viruses of different kinds especially different kinds of coronaviruses and that means that they can have recombination events a single bat's like a typhoid mary just got like a bunch of different coronas Right, and it means that those coronas can mix and match their genomes together. That's pretty cool. Okay, which is probably what happened with SARS-CoV-2, is that it must have been around probably a couple of viruses doing a little swappy swap of some pieces. Damn. And 
that can be dangerous. It's like a little virus potluck. You get something delicious going on when you mix all those little pieces together. True. Right. Or something uh, bad. Right. So sometimes the virus <laughs> be bad, but that's the thing about viruses is that when they kind of go through this process of making more of themselves, they go through generations so quickly. Sure. They can we, try a bunch of stuff. We notice the virus that infects us, but there's like a whole fuck ton of coronaviruses that don't jump to humans. Right. They're just kind of the byproduct of an, ev- or the direct product of an evolutionary process. Right. Okay, now, the first time I heard about bats was not even with coronaviruses, though. Because remember, no one saw it coming. No one's even heard of coronaviruses. I heard about... That's not true, by the way. (laughs) But uh, I heard about bats as disease reservoirs from Ebola. So let's talk about filoviruses after a break. Okay, guys, we're back with Petri Dish. Now, we've talked a lot about coronaviruses in the last month for very obvious reasons. We had an episode on... Some much cooler, but also less successfully spread diseases. Uh, filoviruses, Ebola, Ebola in town, and Marburgs, the deadest city of Germany. So actually, since our episode on viral hemorrhagic fevers came out, there had recently been this outbreak of Ebola, right? right. Like very recently, 2019, right? And this year, for the past 52 days or something... There had been no new cases. Where was this outbreak? This was the DRC. Ah, that's why it doesn't matter. <sighs> Jesus. Just kidding. Just kidding. God damn it. Uh, you guys should remember, though, like whenever someone has a weird conspiracy theory about diseases, you got to remind them diseases like totally happen. Yeah. <laughs> and totally spread. And they do in the modern world. Okay. You just haven't gotten it yet. Right. So we've been seeing this outbreak in the DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo, for the past 52 days. No new cases. Awesome. And then like... I'm going to say a few days ago, April 10th or something like that, a new case of Ebola. Bummer. So probably, you know, if they found a new case, it's possible that there's other cases out there that they haven't found. So it's looking like either, you know, depending on how you classify it, the start of a new outbreak or the continuation of that outbreak. So, Sean, is Ebola a comorbidity with COVID-19? Oh, my God. I mean, I would imagine so. It's probably not super helpful. Ebola don't need a partner. (laughs) Ebola don't need a comorbidity. It's pretty deadly. Ebola is a morbidity. But it is true, like you were saying, that Ebola and Marburg can be found in bats as well. And there are other kinds of filoviruses besides those two, including one called Quavovirus, the... Ilvu virus and Dianlo virus genus, including the <laughs> Quavovirus genus, which has uh, a virus called the Yovu virus, and then the Dianlo genus that contains the Menglu virus. What are we talking about? <laughs> What's so the, happening with all these names? Right, are so these Chinese names or something? Uh, one of them is Spanish. Uh, okay, Quavovirus. Quavovirus. Yeah. <laughs> so this was found in bats in southern Spain in like 2002. Damn. And it's more closely related to Ebola than Marburg. Not that they've seen it infect people at all, but they found it in bats. And then we found the Menglu in Yunnan, China. Yeah, exactly. In 2018, so not that long ago. Damn. And so, first of all, that does mean that you can find these viruses in bats. Okay, that is the case. There's still a little bit of controversy about whether or not they feel viruses in general use bats as the main reservoir. Right. And one of the reasons why there's a controversy is it's actually kind of hard to find the filoviruses in bats. They'll do tests on bats, and the bats seem to be negative for, like, Ebola RNA and stuff like that. Huh. 
That said, a lot of bats have antibodies against Ebola. So, yeah, that kind of implies that they had it at some point or they've right. been exposed to it. Right. And one of the things about Ebola that we talk about in that viral hemorrhagic fever episode is that Ebola, even after people survive Ebola, it can hide out in some spots. Damn. Like your balls. Damn. For years. Damn. Listen to our episode. <laughs> Did you learn forget a, that from our fucking episode? Learn about, a lot about balls. <laughs> God damn. Hey, um, so why can't we just like take some bats, grind them up and like pull out the antibodies and just throw that into a human? Oh, yeah, sure. So antibodies from other species can cause reactions in our body because our body will recognize them as foreign. Right. Sulfur-based life forms have that problem. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe someday we'll talk about sulfur-based Maybe life Maybe someday forms we'll talk that, about it. That doesn't make uh, sense. Silicon. Yeah. My yes. bad. Silicon-based life forms. We're never going to talk about sulfur-based life forms. I mean, neither of them make that much sense, but let's not worry about it. <laughs> Do you not watch Star Trek? God damn it. Okay. So part of the reason is that antibodies in... I think it was our innate immune system episode that's already out. We talked about how the feat of the antibodies is something that your immune cells recognize. Right. To Bats give got fucked up feet. They're just different. Yeah. All animals, their feet are sufficiently different from ours that Damn. we recognize them as foreign. How unintelligently designed. <laughs> Jeez, man. There must be no God. We just finished it. We proved it. <laughs> the debate's over. <laughs> well, so in any case... <laughs> we just lost our critical... Orthodox Catholic <laughs> viewership. Bats can get infected with filoviruses. They can make antibodies against them. But it kind of seems like they can fight off that disease and then don't have the RNA around anymore. <laughs> because they don't seem to have the active virus in them. Which makes you wonder, like, are they a good reservoir then? It's not clear. Kind of makes it sound like bats got a really weird immune system that we need to talk about. Yes, we're definitely going to have to. The last thing I want to say about the feel of viruses and everything about that is that computer models suggest that based on what bats have feel of viruses and where there are bat species all over the world, one of the kind of hot spots that is understudied is South America and Southeast Asia. Okay, cool. And that there's a lot of bats there. We've already seen similar kinds of bat species that have filoviruses in them. Normally, we think about filoviruses, Ebola, and Marburg as being an Africa thing. Right. Actually, like we just talked about Spain. We just talked about China. Right. So Everywhere, bro. So if we have sort of on our mind right now this pandemic going on right. with coronaviruses, we might want to spend a little bit of time also thinking about filoviruses in the yeah. future. Okay, guys. Now I'm going to cut through Sean's bullshit double talk. So Sean, cut the bullshit. I know bats are all fucked up and disease-ridden. How do they survive, bro? What is it about their immune systems that make them such good reservoirs? So first of all, in the simplest of terms, bats for some reason have a high level of non-pathogenic response. That means for a lot of diseases that kill the ever-loving shit out of people and a lot of other animals, bats seem to be able to have those diseased viruses and have it not kill them. Mm. Okay? Now, it's not necessarily true for every virus. Rabies can still kill some bats, but... Man, it's definitely true for a lot of filoviruses, henipaviruses, flaviviruses, coronaviruses. Like, a lot of these things kill other animals, including humans, but don't seem to kill bats very much. There's even some bats that, if they have enough diseases, they actually turn into gargoyles and are voiced by <laughs> Keith David. That was a good show. Okay. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> so, one of the potential reasons, after studying the bat immune system a little bit, one of the things that's clear is that they have... A different way of using interferons, which is a kind of signaling protein. So this part of the immune system, interferons are a cytokine, which we mentioned in the innate immune system episode. They're a kind of protein that goes out there and gives a signal out. 
Usually it's a signal to a bunch of cells saying, hey, there is an active virus infection. So you need to like try to shut things down. Like let's go into lockdown, that kind of thing. The thing is in most animals, the interferon system is usually off until you get infected. And then it's kind of like, oh, now that there's an infection going on, let's social distance, everyone, yeah, self-quarantine, all that kind of shit. But no, bats, man. In bats, it's on all the time. Mm. And so that would be like people all the time having gloves and masks on instead of just this pandemic that's been in the news for three months, okay? Why the fuck aren't we like that? Well, there's probably a few reasons. One of them is that interferons are part of a pro-inflammatory, pro-immune kind of pathway. And it's... Kind of the reason why, like, why don't we have the economy shut down all the time? It's because, like, how would we function? You know, well, it's, but it's bats kind of a... seem to function. Right. So bats probably have other evolutionary elements that allow them to have interferon on all the time. Well, I want those. <laughs> why won't you give me those? You need to switch to bat science. Well, in any case, having interferons on all the time would probably make you feel like you have the flu all the time. That's why bats always fly so funny. Maybe maybe ultimately give you like organ damage. <laughs> if bats fly fucked, they're like <laughs> It's cuz it's cuz they're fucking first of all screaming all the time, right? <laughs> and that's distracting. And second, they're all flu-like. Well, so having your immune system activated like that and overreacting might actually be one of the main ways that you get very sick from this coronavirus. Oh, interesting. Like people who end up being in like the very sick phase where they they need to have ventilators and stuff seem to have hyperactivated immune systems. Right. So then how do bats deal with the fact that they have this pro-inflammatory thing turned on all the time? They have other parts of their immune system that are actively anti-inflammatory all the time, or basically parts of their immune system that work shittier than ours to make up for it. So even though they have these interferon genes always going, they also have these other systems called the inflammasome and sting pathways that don't work as well as ours. And so that might help dampen some of the pro-inflammatory response. How long do bats live? It varies by the species of bat, but a lot of them I think live into their 30s. Damn, so there's just like no consequences for them having this like weirdly awesome immune system. Well, it's almost the opposite, actually. Um, bats live longer than their size would suggest they should. Right. There's like no consequences. It's awesome. They're just like doing it. I mean, since 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 it's longer than you'd expect, it might be again the opposite of consequence. It might be beneficial. Oh, them. I see what you mean. I meant consequence in a non-normative sense. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the ideas here is that this whole weird system of their immunity might actually have evolved this way because they fly. And flying is very energy intensive. Sure. And when you burn a lot of energy in your body, it's thought that you generate a lot of reactive oxygen species. We actually talked about this in our aging episode. Right. There's an idea that reactive oxygen species go around, they choose up your DNA, it causes it to mutate, it can damage your cells. So exercise is bad for you, right? It creates a lot of reactive species. <laughs> you got to do what I do and just play Mountain Blade too. You're so naughty. Okay. So bats might have evolved over time to turn down the sensitivity on parts of their immune alert system. Because, right, because they'd have a lot of autoimmune reactions to right. their own reactive species. Exactly. So that part might have, basically their immune systems might have turned down to not be set off by flying a lot. Sure. Okay. But then another part of their immune system might have turned up to make up for their virus response. Sure. The first bat had like an awesome two months, got to bang everybody, and then was like all sickly and shit. It was like, remember me? <laughs> Forever young. And all the other bats are like, we need to solve this shit because yeah. flying is awesome, <laughs> right? All those babies slowly evolved to keep the awesome 
like fucking flying to new babes situation, but also tamp down the immune system response. Yeah, yeah. Well, next time we'll talk more about bats flying. They're like really good at it. It's fucking weird. And we'll, we'll get into the details. Are they that. better than birds? I would. Oh, man. The problem is a lot of bird people are going to get mad at us. They, they, fly, <laughs> they fly very differently from birds. Very you, differently. You scientists are weird, man. People have stuff, little fiefdoms. Yeah. They defend very sure. vigorously. Bats and birds fly different. That makes sense. It's interesting how like insects, right? Like butterflies clearly suck. Right, they're all like floating around, and flies fly great. Yeah, and it always mystified me about how butterflies still exist, and it, I guess it goes to show you that like evolution is really not a one-way street. Yeah. Also, like for example, birds soar a lot better than bats do. But right. Bats flap a lot more efficiently than birds do. Right. And there's maneuverability shits. Anyway, let's take a break, and then when we get back, we can talk a little bit more about the persistence of viruses and other immune system weirdness for bats. The following is an actual advertisement. Hello, and I am Zach, host of Podcast Junkie. Podcast Junkie is a tool for podcast listeners of all genres who are searching for their next favorite show. I review a different podcast series or season each week, helping discerning listeners like you discover new shows and connect with their creators. Each episode lasts between 4 to 15 minutes and gives you, the listener, a quick overview of the week's selection what to expect from this show, and why I think you should add it to your queue. I'll even toss in a bite-sized snippet from an episode or even their trailer. Along with doing these weekly reviews to help you get in touch with a new podcast, I also support indie podcasts through my merch sales and Patreon contributions. Find out more about that and myself over on Twitter at CastJunkie or over at CastJunkie.com. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope I can help you find your next favorite binge. Okay, guys, we're back with Petri Dish. And, Sean, it's one thing for bats to, like, I don't know, just be walking around with a whole fuck ton of coronaviruses. But for some reason, they seem to keep those coronaviruses. Right. What's going on? Right. So if it was just a situation where, like, oh, their immune systems are different, and they don't get sick, and they just kind of, they beat a lot of illnesses, then they should be clearing out those viruses, right? But like you're saying, that's not the case. They seem to keep having these viruses inside of them. Right, they're a real proper reservoir of viruses. Right, and so maybe not for every single kind of disease, but definitely for coronaviruses, it seems like it can just kind of hang out. Even for Marburg, bats that seem to get it, you kind of lose the ability to detect the virus anymore. Like, we have a hard time finding it, but then like four to six months later, that bat manages to give it to other bats. Months after we've stopped being able to detect it in the bat. Okay, so so what the fuck? The viruses might be able to hang out in some of the tissues and organs, like the liver or spleen, for a while without totally successfully getting cleared. So this is where, because bats have this kind of weird changed balance between parts of their immune system being turned up high and parts of their immune system being turned down low, that they might be able to keep from getting sick from viruses, but not really be able to get rid of them. It's like maybe the parts of their immune system that are supposed to, you know, arrest viruses or something like that might be kind of bad at doing that part of their job okay sorry i thought that was (laughs) i thought in my brain that was going to lead to something more concrete that is not super concrete is part of the issue is we don't totally understand how or why these viruses can persist for so long right one potential explanation is that bat antibodies might have a different level of effectiveness compared to us and some other mammals okay they're more effective i suppose in this case well Different. (laughs) Okay. It's a different effect. So bats definitely make antibodies. Like we can detect the antibodies in their bodies, 
bats probably have more diversity in their possible antibodies. Okay. So we talk about this in the adaptive immune system, but your antibodies are made up of three different chunks of your DNA, kind of getting mixed and matched around into right. like a bunch of different combinations. Right. Bats have, it seems like, and this is, there's so many species of bats, it's hard to make a generalization. Bats, by and large, seem to have about 14 times more options for their antibodies than humans do. That's bullshit, Sean. We're the more evolved species. <laughs> Why don't we have all those? But what is interesting is that bats seem to have less of what's called affinity maturation. And what that means is that in humans, after we get sick, the first round, we just make some antibodies that seem to work okay and have them go out there and start fighting the infection. Right? Okay. But then we start to tinker on those antibodies and refine them. To right, make them sure. better and better at that specific virus. So those T fuckers are doing, right? Uh, it's a mix of the T and B cells. Okay. So you have this affinity maturation, okay? Bats don't really do that as much. And so that means that even if they can make a lot of different kinds of antibodies relatively early on, they don't really turn them into super good antibodies ever. So, hence why they don't fully eradicate a disease. It kind of just chills in them. It doesn't really hurt them. Right. And then another thing that's kind of interesting is that bat antibody levels can start showing up kind of early, but they don't really ramp up very high until kind of later. Mm -hmm. So, it's possible that, like you're saying, bats maybe never effectively clear out viruses the way that humans do. It's interesting. And viruses can just hang out at super low levels that aren't good enough to really hurt the bat. But the bat's not good enough to really get rid of them either. Interesting. So if the immune system is the criminal justice system, then with bats, they just build these big prisons and guard the prisons, and the virus is kind of chilling in there. Whereas in humans, we have our T and our B cells inventing electric chairs, inventing, you know, like new types of concoctions to kill people through injection. We're like really refining the death penalty in our body. Whereas with bats, <laughs> they just kind of keep them there. Because it's quote-unquote humane. Yeah, all right, sure. I buy it. <laughs> okay, and then I think one last interesting kind of immune thing for bats is whether or not they can kind of train viruses. The fuck does that even mean? So if bats are reservoirs for this virus and the viruses hang out in bats for a very long time, Viruses evolve over time, right. actually pretty quickly compared to anything else, bigger really. stuff. Yeah. Right. So that means that viruses might start to evolve in ways to get around the bat immune system. Right. Like they'll evolve to counteract the bat immune system because that's just the way evolution works is, you know, to try to survive in your environment. Well, that sounds like a huge problem for bats then. Right. And so bats will gradually change over time to try to counter viruses as well. You'll see this interplay between the two, right? And... That's probably not great for bats, but I think the bigger issue is then if those viruses jump into something else, those viruses may now be very, very good at evading certain aspects of the immune system because of the way bats are set up. Okay. Oh. In other words... Oh, that's cool. It's possible that viruses that are successful in bats can do something like block a protein called STAT1, okay? And STAT1 is a signaling protein that's important for interferon responses, which I said bats always have on, right? Okay. So that means, you know, if a virus succeeds in bats, it must have had some way to get around this interferon thing. So some of those viruses have a way of blocking STAT1. We have STAT1 too, okay? right? But our system is not turned on all the time. Right. When those viruses get into us and keep us from turning on STAT1, we can never put on an interferon response. Right. So the virus trained under conditions. Right. You know, like Goku in the gravity chamber. Right. That's a much more innocent thing than I, because I've been brainstorming for the last one minute. Okay. Like my examples. 
My first one was Rambo. The bat is Vietnam. And then, and then Rambo the virus gets into back into humans. Yeah, there's just a bunch of cops and they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. My other example was Sigourney Weaver in the Aliens trilogy, right? She trains in the first Alien. Mm. And then the Alien, she like fucking kills like dozens of them. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I buy it. But in any case, so that's, I think, part of the potential issue here so it's like so there's all these viruses that training under the bat system manage to get a foot in the door they can do like okay in bats right but because of the way the bat system is set up the lessons it learns from bats make them fucking wreck shit in other animals hey here's the perfect one it's like russian criminals in the soviet union who then got refugee visas to new york city and then became the Russian mafia. And they just like slaughtered. Like Italians are like, whoa. <laughs> Russian guy came and just murdered six people. And they're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. So there's the stat one example. There, another example is replication speed. Okay. So one of the thoughts is that viruses in bats that can copy themselves relatively quickly can sort of do a smash and grab job. They can get out there. Damn, and, these are hardened criminals. Right. And so that's the thing, is that there's really no need for viruses that involved in humans to have to replicate that quick. They don't have to spend their sort of evolution points right. on being able to move fast. Right. But then when ones that did, because they trained in bats, hop into us, they can overwhelm us really quickly. Right. Wow. Right. Fuck. Okay, so I feel like at the end of this episode, because this is winding down, I think, we've talked about bats and the ways that they're just like a bane on human society. They're these hardened criminal immune systems that then just hop into human civilization, just wreck us. But I'm told that bats are actually beautiful, loving creatures whose magnificent poop has fueled <laughs> culture for thousands of years. But we're not going to talk about that right now. Next time. Next time. We'll get to talk about the wondrous world of bats next time. I'm looking forward to it because they're fucking... They're very weird and very cool, right? They are a branch of mammals that kind of split off and did their own winged thing, but they got a lot of really cool aspects to them. So this time we're talking about the diseases. Bats got them. Yeah. You know what I mean? And super topical, right? Because the last two big news pandemics or epidemics in the case of Ebola have a relationship to bats as reservoirs. Yeah. Uh, I mean, our relationship to the bats is super deep and really important. Yeah, and hopefully one of the lessons that we will get to take away from the next episode, you know, now that we've talked about all these diseased ones, is that what we should not be doing is like going around killing bats or something. Right. What we should be doing is trying to think about more ways that we can interface with their ecosystem so that we don't have situations where we see a lot of zoonotic jumping. Right. Because right. bats do a lot of important stuff and we'll get into it. Right. We got to live more like the tribe of Nausicaa. Right? In Miyazaki movies, where it's post-apocalypse. I mean, that's unfortunate. But but we, like, live with nature. Maybe it's post-this apocalypse. Ah! <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's thank Stacy Song, our sound lord and engineer. Thank you, Brian, for art. And you guys can sign up on patreon.com slash petri dish for as low as a buck a month if you like any of the stuff that we're doing. Thank you for our current Patreon supporters. Yeah. You guys are great. Thank you so much. It blows my mind that anybody does it. <laughs> and then... At Dish Podcast on Twitter, in case you guys want to tweet at us about any of these episodes. All the offensive things Sean said about bats. Come at him. <laughs> Look at dish. this immunologist just meandering into your field. Petri so presumptuous. Fuck! <laughs> PetriDishPod at gmail.com. And we will see you guys next time. Yes, benign bat science. <laughs> Just